1: And that's why the same reason why Adonai is a plural word as well. My Lord is referring to my Lord, God the Father, my Lord, God the Holy Spirit, my Lord, God the Son, so Adonai. Now, so here in verse 2, Lot's not referring to God when he says Adonai, Then he calls these two men who are angels, Adonai, my lords. He's referring to the two angels, okay? And now we see Lot thinking of their needs. And notice in verse 2 how Lot took, takes careful note these two needed a place to stay all night. So he says to them in verse 2, come to my house, tarry all night. And notice in verse 2 how Lot also took careful note that these two, he looked at their feet, he saw they were dirty, he looked at, he says, these two needed to, to have their feet clean, so I'll give you water, so verse 2, wash your feet. And notice in verse 2 he takes careful note that these two, when he looks at them, he says, these are two that are on a very serious mission. These are two focused people here. And they really are focused on what they want to do. And they're not in the mood to be detracted. So he told them that he would not detour them from their mission if they came to his house. So therefore, in verse 2, he said, you rise up early and you go on your ways. See, and all this shows about Lot is that he was a man who studied the needs of others. And he adapted himself to their needs. That's a good thing about Lot. And what we see about Lot is that he was willing to sacrifice himself And not think of himself as one who has to be served, but but saw himself as one who served others. And he calls himself the servant in verse 2. Turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house. And the word that Lot used to describe himself as the servant is the Hebrew word ebed. ebed. And abed is the same word that's used to describe the bond slave. In Exodus 21, 25, where it said, and if the servant, Ebed, Abed, shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him into the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door, and unto the door post, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. That's the word, Ebed, Ebed. And in Exodus 21, 5, where it says, the servant, Shall plainly see—that's the word. So an ebed is a person who gave his ear to be bored through as an indication that for life he was going to be the servant of this man. The Hebrew word for ebed—that's that that, that, that's the word that Lot used to describe himself. That's the same word that's used to describe the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53:11. In that verse, I was telling you, if referring to a minute ago, where it says he shall see of the travail of the soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant, my righteous Ebed, justify many for he shall bear their iniquity. See, God the Father called the Lord Jesus Christ my righteous servant. In stark contrast to Israel, which was called in the same book, chapter 1, verse 4, a sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, forsaking the Lord, provoked the Holy One of Israel, gone away backward. So in stark contrast to the Jewish people is the Lord Jesus Christ who is called the righteous e- ebed servant. As a matter of fact what we find in Isaiah 53 is the righteous ebed servant, the Lord Jesus Christ bearing the iniquities of the sinful people, the sinful nation and of um, people laden with iniquities Israel. So what we find in Isaiah 53 is the righteous ebed servant, the Lord Jesus Christ going into the soul travail For the people laden with iniquities, the Jewish people, in order to satisfy the righteous demands of the holy God. That's what we find in Isaiah 53. The righteous servant, the righteous Ebed servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, doing his great work of justification. Not justifying everyone, but justifying many. That's why the word many is used there. Not justifying all the Jewish people, only those who come to him as repentful sinners, acknowledging that he is God not justifying all the Gentiles, but only the many who come to him as repentful sinners, acknowledging that he is God. So this is the word, Ebed, that Lot uses for himself in verse 2 when he says, turn into your servant's house. And then we see the angels refuse in verse 2. Nay, they don't take him up on his offer. They flat outright refuse. Nay, but we'll abide in the street all night. So the angels were in Sodom. They were on a mission that had been previously described in the chapter before. The Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, sorry, chapter 18, verse 20 or 21, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see, as what God said, whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I'll know. So their mission is to see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it. That's their mission. And what better way for the angels to see for themselves if the reported sinfulness of Sodom was as it had been reported than to spend the night in the street? Spend the night in the street, and they'll see for themselves. That's their plan. That was their intention. That's what they were going to do. They were going to spend the night. They're on a mission. Nothing was going to detract them from their plan from spending the night. And then along came Lot, except for Lot. you know. And what we see Lot doing in verse three is just remarkable. I mean, it says in verse three, he pressed upon them greatly. The word pressed and greatly paints a picture for us of Lot. The Hebrew word for pressed is is patsar. And if you look just down a little bit further in verse 19, you see the word pressed. Again there, same word, patsar. And for verse 19, you could see that that pressing was so strong it was going to break the door down. <laughs> right? So that means that Lot pressed these two angels with such a ferocity of persuasion that Lot was acting as if he was going to break their door down. <laughs> and then to add the word greatly in verse 3, Meod, that really completes the picture for us because now it's Patsar pressed and Meod greatly, and it gives us the clear picture of what Lot was doing. What was he doing? He was strongly asking these two to stay in his house. He was strongly persuading these two to stay in his house. He was using all kinds of words to talk them into staying into his house. He was coming up with all kinds of arguments, that he could, every argument he could think of to get them to stay in the house. He was bearing down on those two, It's a good thing they were angels, <laughs> to prevail on them to stay in his house. You know, he was making all kinds of gestures, like I do. You know, to stay in his house. He's taking him by the hand. He says, You're coming with me. He's grabbing him by the clothes. <laughs> You're coming with me. So that's what he was doing in verse 3 to get these two to stay in his house. So what could they do? You know, give in. What they, if we don't, it's gonna, he's not going to stop. So it says in verse 3 they turned in unto him and entered into his house. Now, when Lot got them into, this, into his house, what did he do? Did, did he say, Okay, you know, I'm happy now. There's the water. Here's your bed. Breakfast at seven. Have a good sleep. You know, he doesn't do that. He gets him into his house. And it's just the beginning. It just starts just like Abraham. He's springing into action. And Lot springs into action. So notice in verse 3 how it says what Lot did. He says, he made them a feast. A feast. You know, you go down to Alibaba restaurant, you can order the feast for two or three or seven, and, you know, they come out with these big platters and everything, you know. And so that's just what he did. You know, he didn't go to the refrigerator to see what leftovers were there. (laughs) They didn't have refrigerators, but anyway, so. But he made a feast, and he just said to him, Now you just sit right down here, and then he just begins to bring out platter upon platter of food. It was a feast. And there's a little detail in verse three that's very important for us to see, and that is, in verse 3, he did bake unleavened bread. Now, why does it say that Lot made unleavened bread? Was it because of Passover, you know, and he wanted to be respectful because of Passover and make unleavened bread? No, the Passover hadn't happened yet, so it wasn't that reason. Or was it because these men were holy and leaven was a symbol of sin, and he wanted to honor their holiness by serving them unleavened bread? No, it wasn't that reason either, because God hadn't told them that leaven was a symbol for sin. All right? This is the first time in Scripture that unleavened bread is used. It's the first time. And the reason that Lot baked unleavened bread was the same reason why they had unleavened bread at the Passover. He didn't want to take the time to let the bread rise that's <laughs> what it was and that's the same reason they had the unleavened bread in egypt because they didn't have time they were being chased for their lives so they took it without letting it rest so that's an important point for us that's called out for us about he made done that bread because it shows that lot is just in a hurry and he's just gonna this is gonna you know he's making this feast and it's like come on and then in verse three they did eat now the obvious question is what's with lot Why was he so insistent that they come to his house? And why does it just look like this is a life and death matter for Lot to have these two in his house? And the reason is because Lot is a man who is starved for godly fellowship. He's just starved for godly fellowship. He's a godly man, it told us in Peter. He's a godly man and is surrounded with ungodly people. His wife has turned his, her back on God. She didn't have any use for God. He has no fellowship with his wife. His unmarried daughters, they have no standards, as we'll see later. They had no use for God. His sons-in-law, the one, the mockers, they had no use for God. His married daughters were joined spiritually to their ungodly spouses. They had no use for God. We don't even know where his sons are. They're out of the picture some if he had sons. His friends and his neighbors... And the whole city was wholly given over to sexual immorality. They had no use for God. And the only people that had a use for God, the only people who honored God, were in Abraham's house, and they were far away from Lot. And so Lot is all alone. He's so desperately alone when it comes to having anyone to have fellowship with who honored God. And that loneliness has just eaten Lot up. He's terribly alone. He feels it. And when it came to loving God, Lot was like a scared minnow in a pool of aggressive sharks. (laughs) Days go by, no fellowship with anybody else who loves God. Weeks go by, months go by, years go by. And Lot's all alone. And he's surrounded by all these ungodly people, and he feels it. He talks about his conscience was vexed with them. And so here comes two into the city who love God. Here comes two into the city who honor God. And Lot says, oh, at last I can have fellowship with them. And he says to himself, this is I gotta get in my house. This is a matter of life and death. I gotta be in my house and I'm starved for this godly fellowship. So what we see here is why it says in Hebrews ten twenty-five, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's why coming to church is so important. That's why it's important to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together in church. Not just physically assembling ourselves together, but assembling it together in a Christian fellowship. That's why it's important that we talk to each other at church, and and as it says there, exhort one another. Not just talking about what happened at work or what the chargers did, but to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's fellowship. Talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's important when the announcements are given for the pulpit that we learn about the different ones in the fellowship who have needs, that we enter into the feelings of their needs, that we pray for them, that we call them. That's why it's important for us. We call those that we don't see in church and say, we missed you. And, if, and we call someone and someone says to, to us, well, what business it is it of yours? <laughs> our reply is, it is our business. Because it's god's business and it says in galatians 6 2 bear ye one another's burdens so so fulfill the law of christ and galatians 6 1 brethren if a man be overtaken in a fault you which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness and philippians 2 4 look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others so a christian fellowship of believers a church that's our family this is our family here it's our people. It's our people. And uh, it, th- this is our family. This is our people. <laughs> my son Joe, Joseph is dating this Hispanic girl, and they always do this my people, your people thing, you know. <laughs> my people say, your people say. <laughs> anyway, this is our people right here. This is our people. And so we are, th- th- this is our family. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when it says in, in Matthew 12, 47 through 50, then one said unto him, behold, thy mother And thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto them that told him, Who's my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. So a Christian fellowship of believers a church is precious. And we only have to look at the fellowship-starved lot to see how precious it is and all the things that he did because he was desperate in order to have fellowship. Now, so that's a good thing about Lot. Now, another good thing we see about Lot, another good side of Lot, is in verses 7 and 9 where he says, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. And then in verse 9, they said, stand back, and then they they talked about Lot and they said, this one fellow came into sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now, Lot lived in a city that was wholly given over to sexual immorality. Yet, Lot was not silent about that. And Lot did not take the position of, let's just live and let live, I've got my lifestyle, they have their alternative lifestyle. Lot knew that his friends and his relatives and his neighbors and his fellow citizens in Sodom were wholly given over to sexual immorality. And Lot knew what this meant for them. They were, there are some very important characterizations of the sin of homosexuality in Sodom and Gomorrah and what they are, were headed for in Jude chapter 1, verse 7, where this verse appears. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication... And going after strange flesh are set for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, on December 20th, 2013, last December 20th, Pierce Morgan from CNN, he interviewed Dr. Michael Brown on the issue of homosexuality. And Pierce Morgan took the position... That the Lord Jesus Christ never condemned homosexuality, but he did condemn homosexuality when he spoke about the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, where they judged for homosexuality. And Jude one seven describes Sodom and Gomorrah as giving them as a city that gave themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh. In other words, man with man is foreign, and it's not natural; it's strange. In the New Testament, there's always talking about Old Testament in this regard, but then in the New Testament book of Romans, there are further descriptions of homosexuality in Romans 1, 26 to 27, where it says, "...for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman." burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving themselves the recompense of their heir, which is meat. So these are further descriptions of homosexuality. Vile affections, changing the natural use into that which is against nature, leaving the natural use and burning in lust. And Jude describes the judgment of homosexuality with these words, the vengeance of eternal fire. So what did Lot do? Did Lot ignore that he knew that the homosexuality in Sodom were, were, were in the sights of God, so to speak, as, as, as headed for the vengeance of eternal fire? Did Lot say, well, they're gay. They're happy. They're gay. They're happy. And if they're happy, that's all it that counts, right? And, and, and who am I to judge them? It's not my cup of tea, but if that's what makes them happy, eh, leave them alone. No, that was not Lot. Lot did not put out of his mind what is called in Jude 1:7 the vengeance of eternal fire. And so what we see Lot doing is, is, in verse 7, is he's reasoning, he's trying to reason with them in verse 7 when he says, I pray you, brethren, do not sow wickedly. You know, he wasn't afraid to call homosexuality wickedness. And he tried to gently appeal to them, to get them to stop the homosexual acts, and he didn't push them away when he repealed to them, but he calls them brethren. And Lot was trying to appeal to them as brethren. By calling them brethren, Lot was saying to them, but for the grace of God, there go I. By calling them brethren, Lot was saying essentially what we covered earlier in Galatians 6.1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. That was good of Lot. And this was not the first time that Lot had tried to convert the homosexuals in, in Sodom. As we can see from what they said about Lot in verse 9, this one fellow comes into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. When they said, he will needs be a judge, the Hebrew words, shpot, shafot, what it means is that in judging, he judges. In judging, he judges. In other words, they were saying, since this fellow came in to live in our city, all he's done is judges, judges, judges. See, by saying in judging, he judges, they were saying that Lot has not stopped to try and get the sodomites to stop incurring for themselves the vengeance of eternal fire. That's good about Lot. And that shows Lot was a consistent persuader. We saw how persuader he could be. And he tried to win souls from sin to salvation. He was always trying to get sinners to repent. And from their comments, Lot was consistent and persistent in his care And his appeal to them. It's a good thing with Lot. It's a good side of Lot. And it also shows he personally resisted the immorality of the sin that was all around him. He cared for the people around him. And he was unashamed. He was persistent. He preached righteousness to the people around him. And then in verse 14, we see something else that's good about Lot, where it says that when they told him, you know, do you have anybody here? And and then they said, we're going to destroy the place. And and then they said to him, you know, bring them out. In verse 14, says, Lot went out and he spoke. See, we see in verse 12, the angels asked Lot, they said, you know, what what do you got? You got sons-in-law. These were angels, so they knew what he had. You know, sons-in-law, sons, and so forth. And and, and they gave very explicit directions. Bring them out of this place. So we see in verse 13 how they told Lot that they're going to destroy the city. He said, we will destroy this place. And that they had been sent on a mission, verse 13. The Lord has sent us to destroy it. And we see in verse 14, it's all important what Lot did. He did. He 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 right away, he went out. And he said to he said to his sons-in-law, and married his daughter. So he, he didn't argue with the angels, he didn't hesitate. He was fully, he fully believed the angels, and he acted right away. That's a good example for us. We know that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is already hovering over every man. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said. He that John 3:36 he that believeth on the son hath everlasting life he be, that believeth not the son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth or hovers on him in Romans 5:18 therefore as by one offence uh, by the offence of one judgment came upon all to condemnation now we know also Romans 8 one, that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So God's called us, like a lot, go out to friends, relatives, everyone. Verse 12, he says, like, he could, God could say that to us, bring them out. But the challenge for us is, are we going to follow lot? In verse 14, and Lot went out and spake. He did what he could. He, uh, he probably had sons, girls, they wouldn't have talked about them. But they're not in the picture, so maybe the, the sons were just fed up with Lot and left home and they could, one didn't want to hear Lot judge anymore. And and, and Lot's message was clear, very clear, up, verse 14, up, get you out of this place. The Lord will destroy the city. Wasn't easy for Lot. Wasn't easy at all to persuade them. He seemed as one that mocked in verse 14. You know, they mocked his message. Oh, look, everyone, we're going to be destroyed. You better run for shelter. Everybody got their helmet? It's going to come down. Protect yourselves. Well, uh, uh, so am I going to be destroyed before lunch or after lunch? Is there time for lunch? Oh, look, we're not destroyed yet, Lot. Let's see if it's good. You're going to set a date, Lot? you going to set a date? Let's see. See, they mocked him. They mocked Lot. Oh, maybe Lot got hit on the head when he was trying to keep that door shut. Anybody see any bumps on Lot's head? Oh, let, 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 let's, set a, let, let, let's get a good seat, Lot, so we can watch the judgment. We can watch you. Run, Lot, run. Now, he didn't let that pressure of being mocked stop him. And the good thing we find about Lot is he left the city. A little bit of hand-holding, but nevertheless, he left the city. That was a good thing. He left the city. It reminds us, Lot left Ur of the Chaldees with Abraham when God had talked to Abraham. Lot left Haran with Abraham after, God, after Abraham's father died. Those are all good parts about Lot. So for the balance, that's the angle that we wanted to see today, the good side of Lot. In our next study, we'll look at the other side of Lot, the not-so-good side, and we'll then put them all together and answer the question, what happened to Lot? Let's pray Father, thank you so much for taking all the time that you did to put all this together for us and help us, Lord, to learn the lessons you'd have for us so that we can be pleasing and walk before you and be perfect in Jesus' name. Amen.